Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you to join me again in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and verse number 24. And uh, I pray the hand of God will touch this word to our heart. I probably will not say anything to some degree that you have not already heard. But I hope with the help of the Lord to underscore some things this evening that are just vitally important. And we will never reach an age or a point in our life that what we're going to discuss here this evening will not be vital. And so this will work for you if you're 8 or if you're 80. And so we pray the hand of the Lord will touch uh, this word to our heart. Our youth are, are out. You saw them leave. And our Bible quiz teams are practicing, going out to practice. And so we're going to ask the Lord to touch them and strengthen them this evening while we are in this Bible study. And I would just say one more thing before we get underway. Please pray for Sister Sandra Baggett and her family as many of you know that her mother passed away, and uh, we just want to lift them up in prayer. The funeral will be this coming su- uh, Saturday at 2.30 at, uh, in uh, Lake City at the uh, Forest. Somebody help me. Gateway Forest. Yeah, am I right? Gateway Forest. Lon, I just went blank. I know where it is. <laughs> I sent you all this information today. I know where it is, but I just went blank. But if you will pray for them We would greatly appreciate that. That will be Saturday at 2.30. The book of Proverbs chapter number 18 and verse number 24. The scripture says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Amen. May the Lord bless you. And you can be seated. Perhaps many, if not... Most people here this evening have heard the saying, show me your friends and I will show you your future. How much truth is wrapped in just these few words and what may appear to be a simple phrase, but I want to speak tonight from this subject, your friends are your future. Your friends are your future. Now we, many of us at least, grew up hearing Our parents guard us, guide us, and caution us about our friends. And uh, when you're a child, it's hard to comprehend the value of those words. It's hard to appreciate the instruction. It's hard to comprehend how much truth there is really woven into that simple statement, your friends are your future. I realize the word friend is, is uh, often used in a very broad term. We talk about friends. When sometimes, uh, perhaps what we're really referring to would be more of an acquaintance. And so this evening, I won't, I'm not really talking about acquaintances that we have in our life, but I want to talk about 
our friends. When we think about someone that's a true friend, a true friend, that is a very, very big statement. It's often been said that, that if a person is blessed to have in their lifetime about five true friends, then they will leave this world very, very enriched, very wealthy. No matter what they may or may not have had by the world's standards to have a true friend, somebody that you know would stand by you. Webster defines friend as one that is attached to another by affection or by esteem. The key word in this definition is the word attached because the word attached in this definition is really a distinguishing word. It sits it all apart. We have many acquaintances, as I've said, but probably we only have a few friends that we really feel attached to. Someone also suggested that another mark of success in life is that when our life is over, if we have enough true friends to at least make up the pallbearers, we will need to carry us away. And so uh, I want to have a few friends in my life. I want to have a few friends. We're going to have many acquaintances. Our life will brush up against countless lives on this journey. Uh, We're going to have a lot of people that are seasonal friends. And I don't mean fair weather friends, but I mean just that. There are people that perhaps your life is merged together. It may be a job. It may be even a job that you work a couple of decades at. They're your friends. But then it was just like the job that brought you together. Perhaps it's retirement that takes your life in another way. And uh, so we call them our friends. And I suppose on a certain level that's what they are. But I'm talking about those friends, those people that we have actually attached ourselves to. Amen. Those are the ones that we say that we have a true friendship with. I have found from not only observation but from experience that it is a series of highs and a series of lows that often forge true friendships. It's the sharing of joy and the sharing of sorrows. It is the experiencing of tragedies and triumphs that bring both solidarity and foundation to friendships. Not just people that we laugh with, but people that we mourn with, truly mourn, and you feel their pain. Recent studies have shown that that people that initially visit a church are not necessarily there for spiritual reasons. And they're not necessarily there because they're on a spiritual pursuit. But often and more often than not, what initiates a visit, at least a first visit to a church, is the pursuit of friendship. And so I believe as a church, if we can provide the friendship that people are seeking that they indeed then can find the spirituality that they really need. I believe one of the greatest tools of soul winning, real soul winning, is befriending people. Not just opening a Bible and trying to share some scriptures, although that's very, very valid and certainly something we could never circumvent from the entire process. But what we must really do first is attach ourselves through true and sincere friendship. I think that Jesus clearly understood this principle as he uh, evidenced that in his life when he approached people, as he dealt with them. He always communicated with them on their level. He talked to them about who they were. He reached for them in their world. And I think that's so important. He said to, to fishermen, he said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't talk down to them, not in a condescending fashion at all, 
but he just had a way of enveloping himself into their world with true interest, true interest, and true with, with true concern, and then speak to them on their level. He then drew them into his circle uh, of influence by doing that. And so I, I'm, I'm thankful today to know that our church is not just made up of one like or one dislike, but there's a lot of tastes, that various tastes that are represented here this evening. And I'm glad that we can coexist with all of our differences. We don't have to be indifferent toward one another. You can generally tell the difference between acquaintances and friends when you run into trouble. The people that are still around <laughs> when the dust clears, when the smoke settles, those are probably your real friends. The people that were just there, they just stood by you thick and thin. Tragically, there not, may not be as many left in the end as we'd like to think or we'd like to assume. And I can tell you from experience that it's a painful process to find out who your friends aren't. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes we counted on those and we thought they would be there and, and somehow they just weren't. A true friend is the kind of person that you can call in the middle of the night and you can tell them what, what you need. You can, you can express right then what you need and they don't ask what's wrong. They just ask, where are you? Amen. They're asking that question while they're grabbing their clothes. They're asking that question while they're on their way out the door. The true friend that doesn't ask, how did you get in this situation to begin with? But they just came to our aid no matter what. I'm thankful for that. That is a true friend. True friends are those people uh, with whom you can just dare to be yourself. You can let your hair down, we may say. You can just be yourself. And I'm not talking about abusing that or letting it all hang out, but we can just, in their company, in their presence, we can lower our guard. And you know, uh, in all of our lives, to some degree, we have to live a guarded life on various levels. And so it's really nice to be in the company of friends with uh, that you can just lower that guard. You can feel safe enough just to be yourself. And I'm not talking about being carnal or being sinful or none of the above, but just to relax. You don't have to worry about uh, some loaded question coming in from the, in the back door or some, 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 some agenda that's hidden that you don't understand or realize until it's all too late. True friends, true friends. True friends that understand those contradictions in our life. Amen. And they understand those things in our life, those misgivings that's just a part and parcel of who we are. And, and uh, sometimes those, those misgivings in our life that cause other people to misjudge us. Our friends can understand that and they can love us around that and love us in spite of us. True friends understand and, and you don't have to be careful when you're in their presence. You can kind of say what's on your mind and you know they're not trying to read anything more into that. More importantly, they're not going to spread that everywhere. It's just going to be able to live and die right there in that room. That's a wonderful thing to have a true friend. You can laugh with them. You can cry with them. You can pray with them. You can rejoice with them. You can mourn with them. Through it all, they see it all. They know it all, and they still love, and they still respect us. True friends, a real friend, that person that you can just dare to be yourself around, a true friend. I want to talk this evening about what Proverbs has to say about friendship. We're going to look at several verses of Scripture, probably 
travel a little bit faster than you may be able to do in real life. So we're going to provide these scriptures for you on the screen. But uh, make a note of them, if you will, because this is what Solomon had to say about true friends. The book of Proverbs, I think, is full of references, and I have not tried to bring all of them with me here this evening, but references that, uh, about friendship and about the value of friendship. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and 17, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I'm thankful that there are people in my life, and I'm confident you're thankful that there are people in your life that love you at all times. They just love you as you are, for who you are. You don't have to be very pretentious about any of that. They just love you for who you are. The book of Proverbs also says in chapter 27, verse number 9 and 10, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Verse number 10 says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Proverbs 29 or 27, 9 and 10 from the Message Bible. I like to just refer to this sometimes. It kind of puts it in a little bit of shirt sleeve language. And the scripture says, Just as lotions and fragrance give a sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Verse 10 says, The latter portion of that, Better is a nearby friend than a distant family member. I'm thankful for those nearby friends, those people that have just been there. They've just been there. I remember several years ago, and have referred to this publicly more than once, I remember several years ago, tragically, my oldest brother and his wife lost their youngest son in an automobile accident. And um, by the time we could uh, get from here to Apopka uh, to be in their home, some of their best friends were already there. And uh, a couple that had been to our house many times with Randy and Tina, and, and so we knew them, we uh, we knew them not on the level that Randy and Tina knew them, but Jasper and Dobby, they're friends. And so when we got to their house, I, I saw, of course, not to my surprise, Jasper and Dobby were there. But what I noticed over the course of the next few days as we went through this process of the funeral and things of that nature is that they were just there. They were not in the way. They were not... Uh, overextending themselves into the, into the situation. They didn't draw any attention to themselves. As a matter of fact, on more occasions than not, I just looked up and saw Jasper just sitting in the corner, just sitting in a chair all by himself, but he was just there. I was so moved by the true nature of a friendship that just says, I'm here. I'm not trying to fix all of this. It's not in my hands repairable. I'm not trying to change all of this in my hands. I can't change anything but just a true friend that would not move, that would not budge, that mark of a true friend. Proverbs 27 and 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. And so here it is, this irrevocable passage of Scripture that says, Iron sharpeneth iron, and so a man sharpeneth the, count, the, the countenance of his friend. Someone is uh, altering our countenance. Someone is changing who we are, either for the better or for the worse. We've talked about the marks of 
good friends, true friends, real friends. Solomon doesn't end there. He doesn't just give us one chapter or one side of the equation, but he also talks about the marks of a false friend. Everybody in this room, I would feel safe to say, or at least the majority of us, has at one time or another been betrayed by someone that was a supposed friend. We thought they were there. Amen. I'm not just talking about somebody we reached for and they weren't there literally. I'm talking about an actual betrayal, oftentimes by someone we considered at some point to be a true friend. That person we would have thought would never have done, never have said. They would have never acted in such a way. And yet here the evidence is so true and real. And because of that, we have been deeply hurt by their betrayal. It is then that we begin to analyze our friendship. It's then, at that moment of betrayal, that moment of disbelief, that we start looking over our shoulder and reassessing months or perhaps even years in some, in some cases. Many times, in retrospect, we begin to see signs that were really there all along. They were just little red flags, just little, little, little indicators that was trying to warn us but somehow or some reason we ignored that. Now, I'm not trying to breed suspicion into <laughs> this entire congregation this evening. I'm just talking about the real world, the real world. Amen. There were signs that attested of their lack of friendship or the lack of true friendship. And so with that said, what are some of the marks of a false friend? False friends are those that are only there for what we can provide. They're only there for the show. They're only there for the song or the dance. Solomon said in Proverbs 19 and 6, many will entreat the favor of the prince and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. <laughs> That's so good, I think I'll read it again. Many will entreat the favor of a prince and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. A false friend pretends to be supportive but but in actuality, they're just working against behind the scene. Proverbs 27 and 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. False friends are only, uh, are only friends to certain kinds of people. They're very selective. Because you see, really, they're just looking for somebody else's coattail to pull and ride. They're, they're looking for someone else's star to hang their wagon to. That's a, a false friend. In Proverbs 14 and 20, the Bible says, uh, from the Message Bible, I'm just quoting here, an unlucky loser is shunned by all, but everybody loves a winner. Everybody loves a winner. After a close election between two political leaders, there was a huge crowd that walked out with the winner. As they began to exit the building, it was very apparent that the man who lost the election was only followed by just a scant handful of men. It was then and there, not through sour grapes, let me add, that the man who lost turned to those, those few people that were following him, and he made this following observation pointing to the crowd that was walking out the other door, he said, there go those that are only following power. There go those that are only following power. So the truth of that statement is this. 
that had the election been flip-flopped, had it been the other way, that a nucleus of that same group would have been following him out the door because they weren't following friendship. They weren't following that. They were following power. I have a personal friend, a good friend, who was standing in that small handful that day. And when he shared that with me, he said, I want to share with you a life lesson that was shared with me. And so I'm doing you the favor tonight. I'm sharing that life lesson with you. There's some that are just following the power. And the moment you no longer have that title, you will no longer have that following because they're just following the power. A false friend will talk about you behind your back. They'll betray you if given just half a chance. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 28 and 29, a froward man soweth strife and a whisperer separateth chief friends. A violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him into the way that is not good. Proverbs 17 and 9, the Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. He that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. If people will whisper to you, they will whisper about you. Amen. So while you're feeling all important for just a few minutes, realize (laughs) that in a few more minutes, you may be the subject of another conversation. So people that whisper to you will whisper about you. So in all of Scripture, you'll find no greater example, I think, of a false friend than that that is typified for us in the life of Judas Iscariot in his relationship to Jesus. He became a follower of the fishes and the loaves. He became a follower of the title disciple. He became a follower of the title of one of them in that close-knit circle of friends. He followed simply for what could be done for him. It's very evident that he followed Jesus, but he also wanted to befriend the Pharisees. He was very conflicted. I want to love this, but I want to stay connected to that. He was, you call it whatever you want to call it, but I think at the end of the day, he was angered by the woman who broke the alabaster box. He totally missed, absolutely missed the purpose of this moment of sacrifice and this moment of of worship. I believe it would be uh, safe to say that he viewed her as being beneath him. He was a little bit higher, a little bit here. He evidently approached the Pharisees about the possibility of betraying Jesus. And it was ironically enough that when in the garden Jesus greeted him with this salutation, Jesus called him friend. And it was at that moment he gave him a kiss called betrayal. But Jesus called him friend. I'm thankful for true friends, true friends. My mind tonight, and I'm sure perhaps even yours while I've been speaking, has thought about that list of true friends in your life, those that have been there. You're going to go to sleep tonight with a calm assurance that that should you need them in the middle of the night, they're just a phone call away, a true friend. One, Someone once said, you can always tell a true friend because when you've made a fool of yourself, he doesn't feel that you've done a permanent job. <laughs> Amen. They just they just say, well, we're going to get on here. We're going to we're just going to carry on. This is not the last day. This is not it. We're going to we're going to write a new chapter. A real friend helps you when you're down. Solomon, again, the writer of Ecclesiastes, 
gives us a little more wisdom and insight in this book, Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, 9 and 10. The Bible says two are better, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his brother. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You know, when, when you're reading the Bible, there's a lot of key words. There's a lot of words that are bullet words. And I want to tell you tonight that when you read the word woe in Scripture, and that ought to arrest our attention. Woe, that's a serious word. That's a serious word in Scripture. He said, woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Amen. Now, the Scripture does not say... <coughs> Woe to him that is alone if he falleth. The scripture says when he falleth. Because it is sure we will fall. Life is filled with stumbling blocks. And we'll never be so tall and bulletproof that we don't fall. And so it's at that moment that we need a true friend. I mentioned this earlier, but, but 17 and 17 Proverbs says, A friend loveth all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I believe that God has just allowed people to be born, born, so that they would be there and that we could be there for them, vice versa. A real friend provides emotional uh, and physical warmth in a cruel world, and we do live in a very cool, cruel and cold world. Ecclesiastes 4.11, uh, the scripture says, Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Sometimes I, I think that we have the tendency to read this 11th verse and interpret it so literally that we, that we miss the real spiritual point. This is more than just about keeping one another physically warm because, again, life can deal some pretty cruel blows. Life can be, can, can be very harsh and very cold and cruel. And so it's during these time, times that a friend knows how to warm us, so to speak. They, they can be there to say the right thing or sometimes not to say anything at all, but just to be there. And so we need those friends that can bring that sense of warmth or, if I could use another word, that sense of security when we are very, very insecure uh, about the situations that we're facing. And sometimes we're facing formidable mountains and formidable decisions, and we need someone that can bring a, a, a sense of security to us. And so through their friendship, we're able to gain a lot of things, a part of that emotional strength when we don't have enough on our own. I'm thankful for somebody that can come alongside and bring that emotional strength. The, the bottom line, I think, is this, it is that everyone, every one of us, we are either an encourager or we are a discourager. And unfortunately, there's no middle ground, an encourager or a discourager. We know people that, that sometimes completely drain us. I know I've mentioned this a lot, and maybe I'm thinking I've mentioned a lot lately. I'm not sure why. But there are people that can drain us of our energy and people can drain us of our passion. And, and, and by the same token, we know that there are people that can fill us with energy and people that can just impart passion into our lives. And so here's the $64,000 question, and that is what kind of friend are we? 
Are we a friend that encourages and, and uplifts? Are we those friends that drain? And I know that takes an honest assessment because every one of us want to be in that other bracket. We want to be that and think that we're that encourager. But we need to ask ourselves, am I adding to the situation or am I taking away from the situation? Now, I'm not being un- ugly or unkind, but I'm going to tell you that we all have people in our life that it's raining every day or at least partly cloudy there's a chance of rain even if it's not raining there's a chance of raining in their in their world and so uh, I'm, I'm sure that we need a balance of all things I mean the Lord didn't just give us all and bless us all with good things we have uh, we have things in our lives that, that we don't consider pleasant or good and they bring balance to us but so I need to ask myself am I adding value to people's life in, in, in my sphere of influence or am I draining value from their life? And so a real friend is, is that person that would fight to protect us no matter what. They just stand for what's right. I love people that are principled people. They just stand for what's right. It's not always popular to stand for what's right. It's not always easy or convenient to stand up for what is right. But a real friend will fight to protect a real friend will defend our reputation because, you know, a reputation can be, can be sullied in just a matter of moments or seconds. And it doesn't take much talk for someone's opinion of us to be changed completely. But I'm thankful for friends that would defend and protect us. Ecclesiastes 4.12, the Bible says, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Another translation of Ecclesiastes 4.12, this very scripture, the Bible says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will outstand or two will withstand him, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'm glad for those that will withstand, aren't you? The words are originally based upon the words that Solomon here is, is, is using in this passage here are originally based upon a military strategy of the ancient world. In those days, the majority of combat, of course, was hand-to-hand combat. And so when soldiers went into battle, they didn't go into battle alone, but they went into battle with a partner. They went into battle with somebody that they knew could be counted on, someone that was a trusted friend. Some sources even state that soldiers stood back-to-back covering one another. They always kept their backs in contact or at least in proximity to one another when the enemy come in from whatever side. And so I take away from that, not only will real friends never stab you in the back, but they'll always guard your back. Someone would say, I have your back, and they mean that, I have your back. A real friend will not allow other people to talk negatively about you in their presence. That true friend that would just stand, not defending wrong, but they would never allow that to happen. A real friend is so committed to us, not just committed to us about natural things, but a true friend is committed to our spiritual well-being. And people that challenge us to grow spiritually, I'm thankful for those kind of friends. I quoted it a moment ago, but it's that scripture that says, iron sharpens iron. That person that just changes and hones the countenance of their friends. People that we walk away from and we realize instantly that we're just better for having been in their presence. <laughs> a true friend will encourage us to mature spiritually. They challenge us. If by nothing else, they challenge us by the maturity of their own life. I, I, I remember many, many years ago now, a close minister friend, a pastor friend of mine who was just going through a very, very difficult time in his life and, 
and uh, he was his reputation, his name was just under assault, and and I, I was I was watching him through all of this, and I was just amazed. I was absolutely amazed at his attitude uh, through all of that, and and I'm talking about his attitude when it, when we were alone, his attitude when he could have spewed venom. And, and so one day I just, I just couldn't help myself. I just asked him, how in the world? How in the world are you able to maintain your composure? And he said, well, I just look at it this way. They're giving me an opportunity to practice my Christianity. <laughs> no, that was, my, that was my response. Wow. And I have never forgotten that. And so here was a man that was showing me, not telling me, but showing me this is how you handle adversity. This is what you do when people talk negatively and even lie about you. This is what you do when people are shredding your reputation into just slivers. This is how you conduct yourself. He wasn't telling me that. He was showing me that. And I have never, ever forgotten that. He was probably, I'm sure, old enough to have been my father. But I, I was li- listening, I was watching, I was learning, and I'm, so, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a, a friend that will not criticize our weaknesses, but they just challenge us to be better. Undeniably, I believe the basis of Jesus' friendships with his disciples was to add value to their spiritual walk. And so I will say again tonight, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This is just as true in the spiritual sense as it is in the natural sense. I'm going to close in our musicians. You can just stay where you are this evening. But think, in, the, in the 15th century, in a tiny village near Nuremberg, Germany, lived a family, a family that had 18 children. To keep food on the table, the father, who was a goldsmith by profession, worked almost 18 hours a day. He not only worked at his trade, but any time he could find a little job on the side, he also worked at that. Despite their seemingly hopeless condition, two of these 18 children had a real dream. And that dream was to follow their pursuit and their God-given natural ability and talent for art. However, they knew that their father would never, ever be financially able to send either of them to study at the academy. So after many discussions, the two boys finally worked out a pact. And so here was their answer. They would toss a coin. The loser would go down into the nearby mines, and with his earnings, he would support his brother while he attended art school. Then when that brother who won the toss completed his studies, he would support the other brother while he attended school. So they tossed the coin. The one brother won the toss, went off to college, while the other brother went down into the mines and for the next four years financed his brother, whose work at the academy was almost an immediate sensation. By the time he graduated, he was beginning to earn considerable fees for his commission works. And so when he came to his village, the people held a festive dinner to celebrate his triumphant homecoming. After the meal, he rose to drink a toast to his beloved brother for the years of sacrifice that had enabled him to fulfill his ambition. 
And so his closing words were this. And now, blessed brother of mine, it is your turn. Now you can go to college to pursue your dream, and I will take care of you. His brother stood and softly said, No, no, it's too late for me. Look what four years in the mines have done to my hands. The bones of every finger have been smashed at least once. He said, I am already suffering from arthritis so badly in my right hand that I cannot even hold a glass to return your toast, much less make delicate lines with a pen over the brush. For me, he said, it is too late. From that time until now, more than four centuries have have passed. Currently, hundreds of masterful portraits from the brother that attended art school hang in almost every museum in the world. However, odds are great that you, like most people, are familiar with only one of them. To pay homage to his crippled brother for all that he sacrificed, he drew his brother's hands with palms together and fingers stretched skyward. He simply called this powerful drawing hands, but the majority of the world has renamed this tribute of love, affectionately calling it the praying hands. And that is the image that we are all most familiar with. A tribute to true friendship. A tribute to love that is willing to do whatever is required to see to it that somebody else succeeds. And so we stand here this evening, and why don't we stand? We stand here this evening at the threshold of a brand new year. A brand new year. A time of fresh commitments, a time of fresh starts, a time of reevaluating and assessing days, weeks, and months that have already passed as we stare longingly into days, weeks, and months that await us. I want to be very selective in the people that I allow to come into my life and hold the title of true friend. We're going to have a lot of acquaintances. Amen. And and sadly, we're even going to have enemies. But because the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you, you're going to have some enemies. But I, I want to be very selective in who I allow those people that I pull close to me. I want to carefully select my friends. And here's why. Because when I select my friends, I am selecting my future. So I've got to be real careful. I've got to make sure that those people that I pull into my life are going to be people that add value to me, to challenge me, to help me to become more than I have ever been. I'm thankful for true friends. Amen. Tonight, while I've been speaking, you've had the privilege and the opportunity to think about some people that have just been there. Not just a couple of days, not just a few months perhaps, not even just a few years, but people who have just been there. I'm thankful for friends. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future because your friends are your future. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege that you have given us to be in the house of of worship tonight. I thank you for your presence that we have felt in this place a presence that has encouraged us and strengthened us. It has lifted the heavy load from the shoulders. If, if, most, uh, if, not, if not all most people tonight, I pray that you would help us as we close this year out, as we bid farewell to 2015. I pray, Lord, with open arms, with an open heart, and with an open mind 
that we can welcome 2016. I pray that we will be careful, that we will ponder the path of our feet, and that we will ask you to order our steps in your word so that we might be cautious in those people that we allow to shape and mold our lives. And I praise you, Lord. I thank you for your word. Help us to rise to its challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Happy New Year. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning. God bless you in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.